Welcome to the third episode of QSource's Rethink Tobacco podcast series. This series focuses on increasing awareness in our communities around the health impacts of smoking and tobacco use. In this episode, you'll hear from our two experts and discover some new strategies and tactics that communities can use to reduce smoking and tobacco use. QSource wants to welcome back to the table and continue our conversation with the project Rethink Tobacco, specifically with Deb and Gage. They are with the Department Office of Community Outreach and Engagement through IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. If you missed our first two podcasts, I just want to ask our audience to go to our website, www.qsource.org, and you can revisit and find any of our resources and podcast material there. But we are focused on smoking and some strategies around what the community can engage in, what our neighborhoods can can engage in, and talk a little bit about the project Rethink Tobacco and what that looks like. In our first overview, we did some introductions and we went over some statistics. And in our second podcast, we talked about the burden that's having, um, that smoking is having on our communities. We talked specifically about some prevalence data some behavior health conditions and what that looks like. And so for today, we want to dive in and take a deeper conversation into some of the tools, some of the action items that we can take as a community and look at overall strategies and collaboration. So thank you, Deb, and thank you, Gage, for coming back to the table and continuing our conversation around smoking. Who would like to get us started today? Thanks so much, Kathy. I am going to start us off today. So moving on a little bit to talk about some of the strategies to intervention for treating tobacco dependence, including some physiological and behavioral components, and talking a little bit about collaboration efforts in our state, and then moving on to sort of a call of a uh, call to action to providers across uh, Indiana and organizations to really just kind of examine how they currently assess and treat tobacco use. So a little bit of background to kickstart our conversation today. So research shows us that tobacco users expect to be encouraged to quit by their uh, healthcare providers or the professionals that they see. And fewer than 5% of quit attempts are successful when people try to quit on their own. <clears throat> and there are various evidence-based tobacco cessation interventions out there that really can be utilized to increase those odds. Additionally, we know that treatments that combine tobacco cessation medications with behavioral health interventions have the best rates of treatment acceptance and cessation, kind of around that 25 to 30% abstinence rate. So maybe the most well-known of these tools in our toolkit is the AAR model, or rather the Ask Advise Refer model. So Ask Advise Refer is a approach that's designed to facilitate the routine assessment of smoking status among all patients then the delivery of a brief advice to quit smoking. And then third is the referral of smokers to evidence-based tobacco cessation treatments, such as those recommended in maybe the treating tobacco use and dependence clinical practice guideline, or maybe another great example would be a referral to our Indiana uh, state quit line, which we've talked about previously, and we'll dive into a little bit more in this conversation. So the really great thing about the AR is that it's, it's a brief interdiction it's it's quick. It's a 90 seconds, um, you know, ordeal that really anyone can do. And uh, the most important part is that it gets folks to that referral step. So when asking and advising, you're going to want to make sure 
that you're using some motivational interviewing techniques with folks. So motivational interviewing, just a quick, quick background on that. It's a collaborative conversation style that really works to strengthen the client's own motivation to change. It works to enhance their motivation. And, you know, in whole, it's kind of about how we ask folks to consider quitting and making it their own. Motivational interviewing allows for that deeper conversation, so you can really, you know, work to better understand folks' struggles, the fears they might have, list of anxieties that comes with tobacco cessation, you know, and not only what that means uh, physically, but psychologically and, and socially for them. We don't want to ask folks yes or no questions. This is about keeping it open-ended, engaging conversation, conversation that truly emphasizes listening and feedback. And, you know, what comes from that is, is empowerment, really, for folks. So we want folks to understand that we also understand what they're going through and that we're listening to them, helping to, you know, make them think about their, their change process and what it means to them, right? It's just about a conversation around change and motivation. These brief interventions, like the AAR, are interventions that are most commonly used by those who don't have extensive training in this. But what we know is that a more intensive approach a dual response type of intervention is more effective for mental health and substance use disorder populations. And Debbie's going to take a minute to talk a little bit more about these. So when we have a behavioral health population, we know that these individuals struggle a little bit more. Tobacco use disorder can be a bit more challenging and, and treating that can be a bit more challenging. We know that intensive interventions have a higher effectiveness rate, specifically with this population. Think of it as a dose-response relationship. And so motivational interviewing is absolutely a part of that, which Gage just spoke about. But also, we want to make sure that pay providers understand tobacco use disorder is not just a physiological disorder. That is one part of the problem, and that is why we use many of the medications. So that's one part of intervention. So that's why people use the patch, the gum, the lozenge, Chantix, some of those products people are familiar with. But then also there has to be that cognitive behavioral piece as well, because tobacco use disorder becomes a part of a person's everyday life. Their behavioral routines that tobacco is embedded in. They use tobacco to deal with certain situations when they're stressed, upset, and as, as Gage mentioned. But then it's also a coping skill for different cognitive issues too, and, and socially as well. So when we think about helping somebody to stop using tobacco, we really have to use interventions that will encompass that whole problem, the physiological, the behavioral, the social, the psychological. And so that's where this is a complex issue that really needs a more intensive intervention. And so when we talk about treating a patient, it is important to think about what medications might be best for this individual and making sure we're informed and, and how to inform the patient and let them have some choices. Of course, patient-centered is patient-centered is very important as well. That's where we really need to rely on our behavioral health experts and their skills that they already possess in helping people with those cognitive behavioral issues. This is, again, another strength for our behavioral health providers. Where they may feel more weak is in the nicotine replacement products and other pharmacotherapies. So again, that's something we can always help 
to train them on those medications. Some people might be prescribers and, and willing to do some prescribing, but some people might not be a prescriber, but they can still help patients with providing that patient education on how to properly use the medication, what the expectations are for the medication and things like that. We hope that people will be interested in learning more about this so that they can better help advocate for their patients and help their patients. Sometimes we get some pushback about some of this too, because, well, you know, our patients need tobacco or we can't expect our patients to quit smoking. This is the only thing they have left. And again, honestly, you know, these individuals are dying from their tobacco use disorder. This is perplexing their recovery. So we want to make sure that people are well informed. Many of these interventions are things they already know, but they probably haven't thought about how to use that to address tobacco use disorder. For many providers that haven't been trained or don't feel comfortable providing this type of intervention, though, we do have the Indiana Tobacco Quit Line. And I'll throw it back to Gage to let him provide a little bit more information on our Indiana Tobacco Quit Line. Thanks so much, Chevy, and thanks for that great overview. So all that being said, I kind of wanted to take a chance to talk about this great resource, right? Known as the Indiana Tobacco Quit Line. It's here in our state and it's free, available for folks to utilize. A little background. Research has shown us that proactive phone counseling is a lot more effective than less intensive approaches like self-help materials or quitting cold turkey, right? And a review of multiple quit line studies has showed that that proactive quit line, like ours, has shown for about a 55% increase in quit rates when compared to just that self-help or really people just trying to quit on their own on their own. So really, really great uh, odds are in your favor if you choose to utilize something like the quit line. What's great about it is that it's free and confidential, and it's a telephonic-based counseling service that helps users quit using tobacco products, and that includes e-cigarettes. It's important to note that the quit line is staffed by dedicated quit coaches, and they're highly trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, and they also have helped hundreds of people quit smoking beforehand. The quit coach works with participants one-on-one, -on -one, and they work to guide them through the process of breaking their tobacco addiction and work with the participants more to develop an individualized quit plan. The quit plan is going to be specific to them and really adheres to their needs. Additionally, the quit line is also available for Spanish-speaking consumers, but it can also accommodate about 150 different languages. Also to note, they have a youth program for ages 13 to 17, which kind of goes back to our previous conversation in the last podcast round around uh, youth vaping and needing to address um, the epidemic we're seeing. So on top of that, the Indiana Quitline has also recently developed a behavioral health program, and I wanted to touch on that. This program includes higher intensity behavioral and pharmacological support for callers with a behavioral health condition. The services under this program have been enhanced to include seven prearranged phone calls from their quick coach, as opposed to the four we received in the traditional program. And these quick coaches have received some additional training on mental health conditions and tobacco cessation methods. In addition to the increased number of calls, those who enroll in the behavioral health program with the quick line receive a free 12-week regimen of combination therapy NRTs. And to note as a reminder, combination NRT is recommended by the clinical practice guidelines, and it's been shown to increase rates of long-term abstinence over monotherapy. And lastly, enrolled callers will have a letter sent to their mental health provider informing that provider of the patient's quit tips. They also receive access to the other services and resources 
that are traditionally available with the Neon Tobacco Quit Line. So I encourage you to uh, look into it yourselves, get on that site. Number is 1-800-QUIT-NOW if you'd like to give them a call on your own. Really just dive into large gamut of services they offer. It's, uh, it's a great, again, free uh, confidential service for folks to uh, utilize. I'm going to pass it back to Deb real quick to talk a little bit about what's going on here in our state. So I would like to make a plea to anyone that is willing and interested and um, learning more about what they can do to get involved. A few years ago, back in June of 2019, uh, there was a state statewide collaboration among the Indiana Department of Health and the Indiana Family Social Services Administration, and they hosted a summit in Indianapolis to address the high prevalence of smoking among adults in Indiana with behavioral health conditions. And one of the outcomes of that was an Indiana action plan for tobacco-free recovery. The goals around that action plan included reducing prevalence of current cigarette smoking among Indiana adults aged 18 and older by mental health status to 25% by 2025. And the other goal was to reduce prevalence of current cigarette smoking among Indiana adults aged 18 and older by heavy drinking status to 25% by 2025 as well. And so out of that came this Indiana Recovery Partnership. So it's a group of individuals from all different organizations, but it's a volunteer thing. So we have some NCOs there. We have people from DMHA there. We have myself, uh, people from the state health department. We have people from local community mental health systems that are involved. American Lung Association, American Cancer Society individuals have been involved. And it's just really a way for us all to come together to try to develop strategies that will help us reach these goals that I just mentioned. And we would love to have some new people around the table. You don't have to have any specific skills, just a passion and a desire to be involved and to help out. We meet about once a month. So if anybody's interested, they're more than welcome to reach out to me. My email address is dhudson at iupui.edu, or they can go to our website on the Rethink Tobacco Indiana site, which is www.rethinktobaccoindiana.org. We have a ton of resources there. You're uh, more than welcome to utilize those resources in your own settings, wherever that may be. And then, of course, if you need assistance, we are more than happy to help with that as well. So you can always reach out to us through the website and request support too. We have a listserv where we send out information on, I wouldn't say it's monthly even, but on a somewhat infrequent basis. If there's new webinars or resources, we always push out and blast and share those as well. So there's lots of different ways to get connected. And of course, if you want to know more, you're always welcome to reach out to Gage as well. And I'll let him provide his email address too. Thanks, Debbie. Yeah, folks can actually reach out to me at gvandine at iu.edu. So that's g-v-a-n-d-i-n-e at iu.edu. So nearing the end of our session, I wanted to just provide a quick high-level overview of some of the discussion points we reviewed actually over the duration of our uh, three sessions so far. 
tobacco use disparities exist, right? You know that. And smoking rates are actually three to five times higher among persons with any mental illness or substance use disorder as compared to that of the general population. Also, approximately half of all tobacco-related deaths each year are among persons with behavioral health conditions. So tobacco use exasperates symptoms of behavioral health conditions and it negatively affects treatment and recovery. And tobacco treatment during addictions treatment is associated with a 25% increase in long-term recovery. So Indiana has an overwhelming burden of premature death, disease, and disability from high tobacco use rates. You know, we discussed that our current rates are about 4% higher than that of the nation. And we've seen over the past two years or so, a pretty significant decline in our smoking rates, but there's a lot of work uh, to be done yet. So to maximize success, tobacco cessation intervention should include behavioral health counseling and one or more tobacco treatment medications. And lastly, behavioral health treatment facilities really should adopt and implement tobacco-free ground policies and then integrate tobacco treatment into their services. So I'm going to hand it off to Debbie for a last call to action to providers and organizations to really examine how they currently assess and treat tobacco use. If providers would include tobacco as a tobacco use disorder that they would assess for, many of them currently already do, but if your organization doesn't, we'd love to talk to you about how you could potentially do that. And then, of course, offering intervention and treatment. Again, that's a great way to look at your organization, see what you guys are doing, see what the gaps are, and if funding streams available to help with this as well. And then, of course, Rethink Tobacco Indiana is always happy to come in and help you look at your organization and see where there might be some room for improvement, what free resources we can provide you with, and of course, what free education and training we could provide too. Please think about this. As Gage said, you know, we see a lot of patients that are dying from tobacco use disorder and health consequences related to using tobacco. We know that individuals that use tobacco die on average of 10 to 25 years earlier in this behavioral health population. So anything we can do, we're more than happy to. Again, please feel free to reach out to us. Well, thank you both for incredible resources, incredible information. I know QSource can take action right away. We can get your presentations and, and your website and your resources in front of our community coalition members. I know community health workers, we have a great turnout in our coalitions and we definitely can advocate for them to look into your training courses as well. Bring awareness through everything that you described in our last three podcasts, bringing those resources to the forefront and to the table so that we can be in alignment with um, reducing those chronic health disease rates, reducing those rates of smoking prevalence with pregnant women. All of that wonderful statistical information that you shared is a call to action for all of us. We have a social responsibility and we just are so impressed with your organization and with your project and we can't thank you enough. So in summary, we will just advise all of our listeners to tune in to the podcast on our website and we will be sharing that with Rethink Tobacco as well. And they too will have the podcast available on, on their organization site as well. So thank you all. And we look forward to future conversations to keep this conversation going. Thanks to you, Kathy and QSource. Appreciate the time.